You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you today. I'm sure you saw Offensive Preview. What? What are you talking about, Keely? Well, friend, I feel like I made this joke last year, but it's fine. We'll recycle them if you don't remember. It's time of recording this. 19 days until spring camp. Football's going to be back, Shotgun. I'm very excited. I don't even know where the joke was. What what joke are you talking about? There is no joke. I'm not oh, funny, but geez. you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I don't at all. No, it, it's almost time for spring football, which means it's also college baseball season, and it's also college basketball coming down the home stretch. So it's a very busy time for me as an individual. <laughs> um, so I always kind of dread the beginning of spring practice. I feel uh, like we never see you at the beginning of spring pra- practice. You're either getting married, you have baseball, <laughs> something's happening with you. Not necessarily. Just the, the beginning of spring football is kind of a, a drag to me until they put the pads on. Then once I hear a little hitting, and then I feel, okay, now the we're back the in the pads. swing of things. Yeah, because the first, you know, the shorts and t-shirts, and the biggest thing is kind of seeing, okay, well, who's new here? Who's in a new position here? And this year it's going to be more who's new on the defensive side. So we're mm-hmm. going to talk about that this week. Yeah. Um, so it, it's more of who's going to be at that left tackle position, who's going to be at the right tackle position, you know, because there's a lot of guys coming back. This is the same thing on offense and defense. A lot of guys returning for USC. So you know, the, the expectations should actually be kind of higher than they were the last couple of seasons. But it's going to be, okay, well, now you got some new coaches. How do they fit in? Those type of things. And how does the kind of the practice environment maybe differently? Yeah. Now, like Shotgun said, today's the offensive preview. We're going to have the defensive preview next week. <gasps> Obviously, that's a big one. we got to talk about the new turnover uh, with the coaching staff and whatnot. And then the last week, the week before uh, spring camp, we're going to do special teams and maybe an overview. We'll have Chris Trevino back on. He'll preview his things to look for whatever he always does a, a preview piece so we'll get a world exclusive once again maybe we'll get an update on where the uh, turnover traveler is uh he's been doing that. some some pr for that lately so we'll see if there's been any any movement on that front <laughs> but yeah spring to me is always getting your bearings kind of figuring out what the narrative is going to be who is this team what's their identity i remember the spring after darnold left it was kind of like who is this team it's like ronald jones and other people you know like they they didn't really have much of an identity and so it'll be interesting to see what happens with the the new defensive coaches is there more physicality question mark not sure um so we shall see and this is an opportunity for them to be more physical i mean the spring you don't have a game for another you know six what six seven months so you got to take advantage. You got to go full bore and kind of try to instill that attitude. And this is a, a continuation of the offseason workouts and stuff. You know, you this is now Aaron Osmus's first full season, first full offseason. So, what impact is he going to have along with the new defensive staff and trying to create that physicality in practice? And, you know, it, a little feistiness would go a long way, I think. You know, I, I think if, if those defensive coaches can come in and kind of push around the offense and, and get under their skin a little bit and, and make them, you know, kind of rile them up a little bit, I think that would help this this program, actually. As far as the spring schedule goes, USC starts March 10th. Uh, they'll go for a week. I'm very upset about the schedule. 
it's what we're used to. This is how Clay Helton does it. Very upset with the schedule. Okay, let me say the schedule first. Go maybe. ahead. They start on March 10th. Of course, it's going to be shells, no pads. They have to do that for NCAA regulation. So it's going to be a week on and then a week off. They'll go on spring break and then come back and have four straight weeks. It's the second year in a row where the spring, quote-unquote, showcase will be uh, on the penultimate Saturday of spring camp. It'll be on April 11th, and then they'll have another full week of practice after that. And spring practice will be open fully to both media and fans, which I think is interesting, kind of going reversing back on the availability. Uh, Bachakan, go ahead, have your rant time. I'm very upset about this schedule because they, they got it figured out last year where you have the first week before the week before the Pac-12 basketball tournament and then you have your week off during the basketball tournament so that the media can cover both football and basketball instead of not letting the media go to Vegas because they have to cover football. Uh, but also the spring showcase. I'm not very I'm again not excited about the fact that there's a whole week after the spring showcase. Again, what is the spring showcase going to be? Is it going to be the same thing as last year where it was very ho-hum, very, you know, there was one dramatic play by Drake Jackson and the rest of it was just like, okay, whatever. Uh, there was not much difference in a practice versus the spring showcase. Well, you and I got to watch it on the Pac-12 network while standing on the sideline. That's different. Yeah, I could get to see more on the Pac-12 network than I did from my vantage point where they'd stuck the media. So I think that's probably going to be similar this year, but... You know, is the spring showcase going to be in the Coliseum? That's a question we don't know as well. You know, I, that was one of the things they wanted to showcase the Coliseum. Uh, this is an, another opportunity to kind of show show uh, what they had there with the new stadium for, you know, as you're continuing to try to attract people to come back, you know, because that was a big thing. You know, you're losing a lot of people with, the, with retaining Clay Helton the last two seasons. There's been people each time that have said, I'm not coming back. But, hey, anytime you can try to invite more people out, say, hey, just come check out the new stadium. Don't even worry about the football on the field. And try to show off the you know all the bells and whistles that they have there now. You know That's something they should try to do. But it's just it's really unusual to me to have the spring showcase and you, you feel like as a football player you're ramping up. you know, this, you got four weeks to lead up to this final – you know, show showcase to show out and show the fans what you worked hard on over the off season. And instead, it's like, hey, show the fans what you do. All right, now let's go back to work for another full week. And it's like you go up and you get this big high, and it's like, no, you got another week of stuff to go. But that logic works only if it is a bona fide spring game, which you just said that it's not. So True. if anything, it's a glorified practice. Fans are already there every day for practice. I think it's more of the same. And what they said last year is, oh, it gives us a chance to see the the corrections on tape and fix them the next week, which we know the whole thing with corrections on tape, eye roll from shotgun. But you gave an eye roll. I'm telling the people. (laughs) But I don't know. I I don't think it's that much of a big deal. I think this is more a Pac-12 network thing, scheduling thing, rather than a we want to do this type of thing. Because I, I just don't see the difference from this Saturday to the other Saturdays that they'll have. Yeah, I, I'm just more upset with them not trying to schedule it along with basketball to try to showcase their basketball. And I'm sure it has to do with the spring break schedule and you know all those different things that come along with it. So it, it's just it's a tough thing to try to figure out and try to schedule. You want to schedule for the football program and what they can do, but it would also be nice if you can look at some of the other programs that are going on and try to match things up. Speaking of scheduling... USC has gotten out of their contract with UC Davis, and we just learned 
as we're recording this, that they will be replacing them with San Jose State, which is kind of what I thought was going to come when you saw that that uh, Georgia had bought out San Jose State so that they could play Clemson in 2021 and kind of open them up. And it's like, oh, that seems like a logical yeah. you know match for USC. Um, and you know maybe that's something that just kind of maybe they've been looking for something to happen, and this you know it just kind of fell in their laps that that uh, San Jose State ended up being out of that contract with Georgia, and the fact that they got I think a one point eight million dollar buyout from Georgia to get out of that contract. That's so, nice. That's a nice. So money maybe day. USC didn't have to spend as much money as maybe they normally would on that that game as well. True, that's a good point. But props to Mike Bone and company for trying to get out of that. It wasn't something that he did, but he inherited that. And he could have, like we said in the bone pod, he could have just um, been like, well, not my problem, full steam ahead, but listen to the fans and whatnot and, and change that. So props given where props are due. But Shotgun, shall we get into this offensive preview? Let's do it. Well, first off, we're going to do some air raid reflections. I feel like there should be like a heart playing when I say air raid reflections. <laughs> but first up, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did it live up to your expectations? I went through the rundown of last year where we talked about previewing what the air raid would look like and whatnot. From what you said then, what you thought about it at that point, and now we're here in 2020, did it live up to your expectations or what you thought? I mean, there's definitely going to be some yes and no's to this. Um, I think that it, we saw that the offense was definitely improved. We saw that they threw the ball a lot more. I was surprised that we didn't see more true four wide receiver, five wide receiver sets until the running back injuries. And yeah. it it's very it's hard to kind of look at this as a full season versus a two part season because before you had the injuries to the running backs versus after you had the injuries to the running backs, a lot of things changed with the offense. Yeah. You know, you were trying to you were doing a lot of more creative things in that Colorado game and some of the games after that to you know, trying to, you know, Keenan Kristen was not going to be able to carry the ball 25 times in a game as the only scholarship running back available. So doing some different things, getting Amon Ross, St. Brown in the backfield, you know, being a little bit more creative, which I thought they would probably do a little bit more of, but it seems more that they are really, you know, Graham Harrell's identity is going to be, we're going to run these certain plays and that's how it's going to be. And occasionally we'll throw in some wrinkles. He did a really nice job with some adjustments in games, in certain games. Uh, you know, I didn't really like the um, game plan in the Washington game. I didn't think that they, you know, that really lined up well with what they should have been trying to do in that game. But the rest of the time, I thought they were they made adjustments in game, and that was one of the biggest differences from the the offense they had previously. That they would come in with really nice game plans, and they work really well for the first two drives or so, and then just they fall flat for you know a full two quarters or so after yeah, that. It was kind of hang on <laughs> after that. Yeah. So whereas the air raid, you know, they made especially at halftime, there were some halftime adjustments, and we would hear from players afterwards that Graham Harrell would come in, and you know when he was with the players because he's normally in the booth uh, in during the while the game's going on but at halftime he would come in and speak with the offense lineman or you know this is what we're going to change here and like make some significant changes at halftime they would come out and you know a lot of times they played played really well in the second half so I thought it was interesting uh it didn't quite live up to what I was expecting it's just as far as the receivers and what they were going to do with them you know because I thought they ran the ball a lot early in the early in the season the first half of the season you know, more so than probably I expected um, and some of the runs that they did do, 
weren't exactly they weren't able to get those big burst runs that they were looking for that you see a lot with the Oklahoma States or you know the Oklahomas where you you throw the ball so much to the outside you widen that defense out and then suddenly you hit a you hit a seam and burst through there and they're gone. Now, we saw a little bit out with Keenan Kristen in that mm-hmm. Arizona game, but not really after that. A couple of runs from Stephen Carr, but you know they weren't able to break those big eighty yard runs that you know just so demoralizing to an opponent. When you feel like, all right, we're we're holding on against the pass right now, and then suddenly a run just just destroys you. Where you know that's what this air raid offense can do. But I thought that the air raid, you know, that the offense overall under Graham Harrell was much improved, and I thought the quarterbacks played much better in it. You know, it it really limited what they had to do, you know, simplified things for them, made things easier, I thought. And that's why you were able to see a guy like Keaton Slovis step in with an injury and as a true freshman still be able to be really productive. When grading this offense, if you will, or or managing your expectations, do you almost have to grade it on a curve just because of how many injuries at key positions? You mentioned the injuries at running back. You mentioned uh, the Washington game. That was something with Matt Fink. Can you do more things with a Keenan Slovis or a JT Daniels than you can do with a Matt Fink? How much do you think Graham was limited with the injuries and how much was the growth of the offense limited given the turnover rate of players and whatnot? Sure, there's limitations when you have injuries, but this is an offense that has excelled at places where there's a talent deficiency. You know, the Texas Tech in the Big 12, at North Texas, at Washington State. So it's not like you have to have the premier talent to be successful in this offense. Do you have to change things? Yes, and I think that's what Graham Harrell did pretty well uh, this season, you know, making adjustments, changing things as the, you know, the injuries occurred. But the injuries can't be an excuse because the injuries have been consistent for like four years now. So it's just a part of nature at USC. You got to plan for that now. I think that's just how you got to look at it because, you know, you're going to have injuries. Every team has injuries. USC has continued to have, you know, big spates of injuries, you know, big uh, occurrences where they have multiple guys out in multiple positions. That's been unfortunate for them, but. It's it's part of the game. So you just got to make adjustments as you go, and I think they did a good job of that. I think so too. But I think there is something to be said for when your starting quarterback goes out in the first game and you're playing a true freshman. That's something that they elected to do, playing a true freshman. But I think it did hamper in some way the overall growth that we could have seen from this offense. Yeah, and I think that's why you lost the BYU game. I think it's yeah. why you lost the Washington games. You have inexperienced quarterbacks in both those two games. You have They threw three interceptions each. Does JT Daniels throw three interceptions in those two games? Who can say? You know, yeah. He might have made the same exact mistakes. He's still new in this offense as well. However, I think with his experience – and a couple of the plays, you know, there were a couple times where it was cover three and they're trying to, you know, they're dropping eight and they're trying to just do too much. That maybe JT Daniels, his skill set was to, you know, to, to take the short passes and work his way down the field. That's what he did really well during the fall of last season, which is why I think they probably would have won the Washington game if he was starting. I just think what Washington was giving them, and hey, maybe Washington makes a much different game plan if JT Daniels is the quarterback, of course. But just looking at the game plan that was – Implemented by Washington versus what JT Daniels does well, I think that they, it would have been a lot different game there. So, it, but it's hard to say just overall how much is different based on one injury. You you, you take an injury, you move on from it. Yeah. You know, you hope that you don't have multiple injuries at an individual position. 
which they did, which is a sign of they have to do better blocking up front. You know, and the quarterbacks have to do better of getting rid of the ball. When it's a quick passing route, if it's not there, you have to throw the ball away so that you do not take those big hits. And I think Keaton Slovis is one of the biggest things for him that he yeah. has to learn from this season is to sometimes you can't always be creative. You know, he showed and made some really nice plays being creative, but like the uh, the t- first touchdown against Oregon where he goes left, comes back in the pocket, goes right, and then eventually finds Drake London for a touchdown. And Graham Harrell talked about it the, the week after, you know, what did you see on that play type of thing? He said, or what did you, you know, talk to him about? He said, when he got off the field, I said, nice play, don't ever do that again. Yeah. Basically, because you don't want to be coming back in the pocket and rolling to the right and trying to keep a play alive when someone comes behind you or, you know, you know you're turning your head looking for a target and you get hit. And that's when those big injuries can happen. That's when uh, big turnovers can happen as well. So uh, I think that there's, those are learning experiences for him. And I think that he's got to get stronger and, you know, first year. Uh, a true freshman coming in and playing, you know, if he had a year to bulk up his body, maybe he's a little bit more prepared so he doesn't leave a couple of those games where not the concussions necessarily, but the, you know, the the injuries that he sustained because USC had a quarterback leave the game five times this, this season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need your quarterbacks to bulk up and get a little bit, you know, a little bit more strength on their body. And that's what I think you'll see from uh, Keaton Slovis in his, in you know, next year as he's out there because he's going to be the starter. Well, okay, I'm cutting you off because you're you're talking too much about what, what we're, we're going to get. Preview? Yes, yes, yes. So, Fine. Yes. One of the questions we had last year when doing this podcast was addressing maybe the complaints from the diehard USC fans who didn't like an air raid offense coming to USC with the tradition and whatnot. Do you think this satisfied that type of fan? No, I don't think so. I don't think it satisfied that type of fan, but uh, I think that the offensive numbers are satisfying overall to see you know how many points they were putting up on the board and stuff, and that they could still that there's still room for growth there. And some of the players talked about it, you know, how they were getting close to taking that next step, and that was something Graham Harrell talked about at the end of the season. Uh, but I think that they in that second year in the offense, that's something that he and John David Baker have both said. That you know at North Texas, the second year in the offense is when they really took off, and if that's the case with Keaton Slovis and those receivers they have, you know if they can block up front, then this could be a you know a, a potent offense once again this season. We have some stats to back up what you were saying. Now the caveat for these stats is that USC had one less game in 2018, um, but here were the numbers if you compare the gumbo to the air raid, if you will. So for scoring offense, points per game, in 2019, USC ranked 35th in the nation, while in 2018, they were 91st. In total offense, which was yards per game, in 2019, USC ranked 20th in the nation. In 2018, they were 84th. The one offensive stat where USC actually took a step back was rushing offense, yards per game. In 2019, USC was 119th. In 2018, USC was 107th. And then in passing offense, yards per game, 2019, USC was sixth in the nation. In 2018, they were 48th. Now, going back to that idea of their kind of two separate seasons, I looked at the numbers for their rushing yards pre and post the splits injury. Uh, so through the Arizona game, when so leading into the Arizona game is when Vivai Malapai had his uh, surgery. So you had Stephen Carr, Marquis Stepp, and Keenan Kristen still healthy. Uh, and then you lost Step and Carr both in that game against Arizona. So through the Arizona game, USC was running for 5.5 yards per carry, which is a solid number there, and 156 yards per game. 
After that, the final six games of the season, they rushed for 4.6 yards per carry, so almost a full yard less per carry and only 100 yards per, per game. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge difference. So if they were healthy or even, you know, they don't have to have all those guys healthy, but if they didn't lose all their – anyone with any experience yeah. on a scholarship – all at the same time, maybe it would have been a little bit different there as far as their rush yards. And, you know, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to add a another running back to the mix this recruiting class because mm-hmm. they wanted to do that, add another body, because running backs are one of those positions where you're going to have injuries. Offensive line and running back, you have injuries. Uh, how do you overcome those? Do you get those injuries all at the same time? Usually not, but you know USC had that unfortunate run last year. So how do they kind of make up for that? And do they get back to what they did in the first half of the season last year in those first seven games? You know, when you're running, you run and you run the ball for over five and a half yards per carry. You're, you're going to be solid on the ground. It's not going to be student body left, student body right. However, you can still run the ball and be successful on the ground in the air raid offense. And they showed that those first seven games. I thought. Yeah, I would agree, but. We'll get into it more when we get to the running back portion. Any final thoughts on air raid reflections before we go into position groups? I mean, if you're looking at it as a recruit, you look at it as an offensive lineman, you say, hey, I can show my pass blocking skills. That's what NFL teams are looking at. I, you know, I would want to be in that offense. If you look at it as a wide receiver, they're going to throw the ball. Even if I'm not the featured guy, I'm still going to get a lot of balls thrown my way. I can show my stuff for the next level quarterback i can throw the ball i can read defense you know and a lot of those principles are being used in nfl by nfl teams you know the team that just won the super bowl the kansas city chiefs a lot of those same type of things and it's really just the running backs where it's like okay am i going to get enough carries to showcase myself but also what's the big thing with running backs shelf life you know how much wear and tear are you taking you might look at this offense and say you know, I can put up some big numbers. I can showcase myself. You know, I can show that I can make cuts and stuff. And I don't have to carry the ball thirty times like I might at a you know in a uh, I formation power SEC type of, of program. So you know, I think you look at it as a recruit and you say there's a lot of things that are attractive about this offense that you might want to play in. Yeah, and I think we've heard that from recruits as well. And we'll get into it more because I have some tidbits to add per position group. Oh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, first off, let's start with I guess. The position group that is the most intriguing, most questions in the spring and this upcoming season, the offensive line. Um, I'm going to run through the depth chart so you know who USC is working with. So as far as departures go, USC lost Drew Richmond. He graduated. Jacob Daniel also graduated. Austin Jackson obviously left for the NFL draft. And then Clayton Bradley added his name to the transfer portal. USC has no early enrollees for the spring, uh, but they do get six O-linemen in the fall, but uh, we do not believe that they will be game-ready uh, in 2020. As far as the depth chart goes, it's interesting. Trying to put together the depth chart and, and putting a differentiation between tackles and guards, there's some utility players, if you will. For now, the tackles, Jalen McKenzie, Bernard Shermer, Jason Rodriguez, and Frank Martin. The guards, Andrew Voorhees, Elijah Vera Tucker, Liam Jimmins, Liam Douglas. And as far as centers go, Brett Nealon, Justin Dietrich, and Gino Quinones. So, Shotgun, where do you want to start when discussing this position group? I mean, let's start with the guys that are gone. You know, Drew Richmond is gone from the right tackle position. They got him to come in as a grad transfer. You know, that was big for them just to add some experience to that room. Austin Jackson leaving, you know, their most talented guy, the guy with the most potential there. But they do have some pieces back. 
you know, you lose your two tackles, so that's going to be really big, figuring out who's going to go there. Because on the roster, there's not really those true tackle guys that are going to fill right in. There's nobody on this roster that really seems like that's just an immediate replacement guy. It's a big question mark there. Because a lot of guys have played some guard. A lot of guys could play some tackle, maybe. That's kind of how you're looking at it. Yep. I mean, Jalen McKenzie, we got him listed as a tackle here, but he played the entire season at guard until Drew Richmond wasn't available for the, the Holiday Bowl. Uh, Jason Rodriguez is another guy, young, talented kid, but he had some some big steps to go when he got to USC. Is he going to be ready? You know, Frank Martin's a guy that's been you know kind of just disappeared on the depth chart. We hadn't seen him, but he was the second team. He was backing up Austin Jackson this past season. Had his best year, you know, in practice and spring uh, that we saw. So he took a step forward. Is he ready to start? They get Andrew Voorhees back at a guard spot, which I think is big for them because that gives them a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Now, he's played a little bit of tackle previously uh, as a freshman. Elijah Vera Tucker is a guy who could play some tackle. Now, Elijah Vera Tucker was their, their most dominant offensive line, the guy that graded out the best this past year playing left guard beside Austin Jackson. Can I please just give those on the family feud a little uh, dirt off your shoulder brush off? Because who are we rooting for in 2018? I just got to say it, AVT, we were we were truthers. Sorry, continue. <laughs> we did think that Elijah Vera Tucker could uh, have gotten some earlier opportunities as well. Liam Jimmins is an intriguing guy. He's a guy that you know started as, as a high school. I think he, he played defensive end, I think a little bit of tight end, actually, in high school. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that came in as a defensive tackle or a defensive end. They bolted him up to be a defensive tackle. He looked at the depth chart, and he actually told Clay Helton, I think I can be on the offensive side. Clay Helton said, no, stay on the defensive side. KU. KU was the one who convinced uh, Liam to stay. Clay wanted Liam to make the jump. Um, and I, I think Clay, Clay and Liam kind of were on the same like team as as far as their thinking goes. And KU was the one who convinced him to stay for extra gotcha. year. So that was actually something that Liam Jimmins kind of mentioned to me in the back of his mind. That thought, that lingering thought. Okay, what if I had another year under my belt on the offensive side? Where would I be right now? Where would I be on the depth chart? So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how KU dictated the the timeline of this offensive line essentially. And, and it's interesting because Liam Jimmins, you know, is the same class as as uh, you know Brendan Peely and Marlon Tuipolotu and Jay Tefele, and he kind of saw is like probably not getting much playing time over those guys. Now he had worked his way into the rotation at defensive tackle uh, before the at the end of the 2018 season. He flips over to the offensive side. And we've seen several guys, from Jacob Daniel to Dominic Davis. And basically, when the guys flip over to the other side midway through their career, it's kind of a you know, it's kind of like okay, well, good luck graduating because yeah. we're not going to see you. Just no one has really made that flip and has suddenly become a you know has produced. Jimmins, however, made such huge strides last spring that I was keeping my eye on him. And in the fall, he did the same thing again and made another big jump in his performance. And I I said it, but I think before the season? Did I say it before the you season? You said it in, like, September on this podcast. That I thought that he's an NFL guy to me. You know, he's got really good feet. He moves pretty well. I don't know if he can play tackle at the NFL uh, uh, level, but he could definitely play guard, I think. I talked with Tim Drevno later in the season. He said, yes, I think that guy's got a, a Sunday future as well. The question is, where does he end up? Because he is a guy that if he continues to make strides, now he's made some really big jumps in his first full year, so the you know your your growth chart is going to slow down a little bit as you go. Um, so how much can he still gain in this off season, this spring, 
lead to where he will end up next year. I think he could play tackle. I think he could play tackle for USC. I w- that's the guy I would try out left tackle to begin this this spring with and see if he can stick there. I don't know that USC is going to do that. That's what I would do uh, because I really like Elijah Vera Tucker at guard. I don't think he's a tackle in the NFL, so I think if you move him out to tackle, you're a little bit you're kind of taking it away from his uh, um, – You're toe lobe donning it. Well, I just think you're taking away from him getting better for the next level. That was my point with Toa Lobanon. Oh, okay. I thought he was better as a guard than a center. Well, Toa, they just they moved around so much that he never really got solidified home, anywhere. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have a home. So I think with Liam Jimmins, you could potentially put him at left tackle. I think Elijah Vera Tucker's another option there. I think Andrew Voorhees is another tackle option. Jalen McKenzie, we're already kind of pushing to the tackle spot because yeah. he kind of shared time there with Drew Richmond uh, last uh, last fall camp as well and then took over that spot. So those guys are kind of the, the four front runners, I would say. Now, can somebody like just Jason Rodriguez get in that mix? Can he take a big jump forward in his second year? Can Frank Martin you know, bump up in that group? And a couple other guys we haven't talked about, Bernard Shermer, big question mark. He's in no man's land you right know, now. Is he just going to be a waste of scholarship during his time? Because he really has not played at all. There's been times when he's been away from the program. You know, They, they took a chance on him. Um, you know that he had been out of football basically for a year to bring him in is he gonna is that gonna pay off at all you know can he jump up and you know contribute this year in some way you'd like to see that happen for for his sake and for the team's sake and then Liam Douglas is another guy that was a project you expected him to be you know he was not gonna be a guy that was gonna play till probably his third year well now it's his third year is he ready to jump in and be a part of the rotation? You know, you're looking for a guy like one of those two guys to be rotation guys. They don't need to be starters, but can they be good enough that there's not that huge drop off that there was last year between the first and second team? You know, last year it was basically you got six guys, including Andrew Voorhees, uh, or and maybe seven if you want to include Jimmins. And it, at certain point, he did jump up in that fir- first group. But you know, you you knew there was a first group, and then it was a big. Uh, Drop big off, canyon yeah. in between canyon canyon wow. between the 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 talent and the consistency of play that you were getting from that first team and the second team. So you know if you had multiple injuries, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And unfortunately for USC, that never really happened. They got lucky. They kind of escaped with that, which. I wasn't sure at some point during the season that they were going to. And and thankfully for them, Jimmins, you know, yeah. stepped up and, and could have been could be a guy with that group. And then, you know, your centers, you got Brett and Elon and you got Judge, Justin Didich, who are both were both solid at that spot. You know, when Elon went out, Didich stepped in. And then you got Gino Quinones. So the question there though is if Brett and Elon and Justin Didich are playing well enough, does one of them move to guard? Okay, I need to jump in because I have so many thoughts, but you're just blasting through all of this. Go for it. Okay, so first off, Voorhees, Andrew Voorhees. Okay. How healthy is he? We don't fully know. He had, and, a, he had a calf injury? Yeah, well, yeah. Yes. I'm just saying, given the Amater Bebe, Solomon Tuliel, Pufu issues, I'm not willing to USC deem someone. USC medical issues is what sure, you're saying? Sure, essentially, yes. I'm not ready to deem someone as ready to go until I see it with my own eyes. Speaking of seeing it with my own eyes, I'm glad we get to see spring in its full because I don't think part of the reason why we were AVT supporters is because we saw one-on-ones during practice. We saw them battle it out in practice where we can't see in games because he wasn't a starter. And we didn't really get to see that in fall. We didn't see if someone was kind of 
the rising star. And so I'm curious to see that if anything happens there. I made notes while you were talking because you were going through so many points that I had to. Uh, oh, I don't think we saw. You talked about the the canyon between the first team and the second mm-hmm. team. I don't think we saw real improvement from that second team or real growth. Granted, we didn't see practices, so we couldn't see also if there was point. growth. But I just don't think it was there. They definitely didn't get playing time, if you exclude Liam Jimmins. So I don't know if if there's been any real progress or for, if they're in the same state that they were last spring or last fall. My second point was, um, or this is I'm at my fifth point now, Liam Jimmins. I'm curious where he's at because he missed a good chunk of the second half of the season with that elbow injury. So I'm curious if his growth was stunted a little bit, what it, what he would have looked like by the end of the season if he didn't get hurt. And then I'm curious about USC's strategy. Is this going to be a, we're putting the best five out there, whoever it is. And if that's the case, do you bump out AVT to tackle just because he's your best offensive lineman? Do you weigh the pros and cons of having your backup center move to guard just because he's maybe better or more feisty, et cetera, et cetera. These are all the things that were flying through my mind as you were just bursting through each point. But yes, those are my points. I'm very curious about this whole configuration. I think your point about us not being able to see one-on-ones and stuff throughout fall, uh, I think is a really good point. So, you know, there may be a guy, maybe Liam Douglas or someone, you know, in that group, that secondary group was really doing well, but if you're Frank Martin, you're behind left tackle, you're behind Austin Jack, you're not getting playing time in the yeah. game. Um, you know, th- those guys did get a little bit of playing time and some blowouts, but that was, you know, th- they got both Frank Martin and Liam Douglas got 12 snaps offensively. So, you know, that's not going to not going to lead you to 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 make any big assumptions. Move the meter, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's just like you said, that's why we were, you know, we thought AVT was a guy that probably should get some more opportunities because we saw him in practice doing really well. Then obviously this past year we were shut out of practice after the first 20 minutes. They, the offensive linemen are doing nothing that we can see in the first 20 minutes. So we did not know anything about them besides what was happening on those Saturdays and what was taking place. So that secondary group, hey, is Jason Rodriguez, is he taking a step forward? He did play at the end of the season you know, on special teams. He got a couple of snaps in the Cal game. Um, so that's a guy that uh, I'll be curious about in the spring. Because he's a guy that had a lot of potential, but he had to fix a lot of uh, uh, technique things. You know, from where I saw him at the Polynesian Bowl, he's got the frame, he's got the size, he can move well enough, but his technique was just not good in that All Star game at the Polynesian Bowl. How much has that been cleaned up? Is he ready to go this spring and, and be able to compete for one of those positions? And then you said uh, that you know they bring in six guys that are freshmen. You said you don't think any of those are going to be game ready. You said we. Okay. I'm also adjusting that statement. The only one I think could be ready, maybe, maybe Jonah Monheim. No, see, I don't think Jonah Monheim is going to be ready. Who's your Who's your guy? I think one of the Texas kids could be ready because yeah, they they have I know more Chris size. Said that on our last podcast too. They have more size than than Jonah does. I think Jonah has to strengthen his body a little bit more because um, he's going to be a guard. He played tackle in high school uh, for Moore Park, but I think that he's more suited for a guard just to his frame. Um, and I think he just needs to get stronger, and there's some things that he'll have to clean up that first year on campus. Whereas the the Texas guys are kind of unknowns. That's why I'm not confident in saying that. Whereas I saw Jonah Monheim just crush kids all the time, <laughs> so that's that's why I'm a little biased in my choosing. Yeah, he did dominate that league that they were in. So uh, 
it, it'll be something that we won't know until uh, fall camp and we get to see see them for the first time or even it, not so much in the summer workouts and stuff because you don't really get to see that much anyways. So it'll be fall camp to find out, hey, are any of these guys, are there even question marks about being rotation guys? Probably not. I'm just not confident in that. Well, the thing is, I, I'm not going to say that just because there's so many question marks to the line. Sure. You know, if it was this... If it was the same offensive line you just had last year, then you know I wouldn't think any of those guys would come in because you had seven guys that were basically competing for the five spots, and you knew who those seven guys were. This year you have Elijah Vera Tucker, you have Brett Nealon, and then you got a lot of question marks from a, from Andrew Voorhees' injury to you know where are those other guys just best suited for? You know, is Justin Dietrich a guy that can play guard? You know, is he a guy that you want in the lineup just because you want the best five? Those are the questions that that have to be answered. So that is obviously the most important position, possibly on the field, but definitely on the offensive side this spring, is looking at the offensive line, seeing where people are, and seeing how they do in the positions where they are. Completely agree. Now, when it comes to Tim Drevno, what was your assessment of his coaching in his first full year, which is kind of weird to – uh, believe considering he's it's his second year but his first few, full year as offensive line coach what do you expect in year two it's interesting that they they kept Tim Drevno and the fact that he did not have any air raid experience but the players really like him the former players that have had him uh have told me previously that you know that he really knows how to take what you do well and kind of emphasize that and maximize what you do well rather than you know trying to mold Every little thing that you don't do well, he wants to highlight what you do do well and try to use that to to the best of the team's ability. Um, so I think that he's going to have his hands cut out for him uh, because there's just going to be a lot of work for him to do and a lot of question marks to figure out. And it's in an offense that he's you know he's got one year of experience in. So how do those players you know those skills what skill sets may have worked really well in the pro style? not exact don't exactly translate so what exactly is he looking for what what key factors is he looking at as he you know is evaluating guys this spring in that sense how much do you think Graham Harrell will have a hand in deciding and evaluating the best five I think he'll definitely have a part in it just because he's been you know basically putting his hands in everything on the offensive side you know he's been very hands-on with a lot of that stuff so I think that he definitely will will have a lot of say as well Moving on to the next position group, running backs. There's no departures at that position group and no additions as well. Uh, as far as the depth chart goes, Stephen Carr, Vivai Malapai, Marquis Step, Kenan Kristen, and Quincy Junty. What are your takeaways from this shotgun? Same group coming back. Just got to stay healthy. The the spring is going to be all about Kenan Kristen and Marquis Step. I think if Step is healthy, is just getting those guys more reps. You know, if you remember last year in the fall, even. Uh, Vi and Stephen Carr were not getting that many reps. Yep. You know, it was basically veteran rest already for them. Um, so I, I think it'll be kind of interesting to see if they do get a lot of reps. I think that t- says something different. Uh, but I think that it's going to be something for the young guys to get more and more reps than than for you know those two older guys to to be in the mix and taking hits and stuff regularly. Says something different in what sense? That that there's pressure on those guys. That maybe there's that. You know the coaching staff has said we got to see more from you, or we need you know we we want to 
um, evaluate you differently. So we want to see you out there doing more. Uh, whereas you know the last spring and then the last fall, they just they just didn't do much. It would also kind of be concerning to me, just given how Vivai was talking about post injury, how he didn't really listen to his body and how he pushed it too hard and he wanted to do what was right for the team and it ended up costing both him and the team later on in the season. So to me, I think it would be smart just to work him at least in easily, um, given just how his knee is touch and go. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. Do you have an official statement of maybe regret, remorse? You did predict that Stephen Carr would win a Heisman his junior (laughs) year. That has passed, Mr. Gunn. Do you have an official statement for the pod? I do not have an official statement. Uh, I do not want to comment on the past. You know, we're just looking forward to you know going forward with this and seeing who our next Heisman prediction will be. Um, but you know, we, we're not focused on the past anymore. We're just looking hmm. forward to the future. Interesting. Uh, someone once told me that if you're if you're not uh, talking about your past decisions, that means you're not proud of them, <laughs> Mister Gunn. Yeah, unfortunately for Stephen Carr, you know, the back injury seemed to sap some of the explosiveness and, you know, he wasn't the same player when he came back. So it's been a work in progress to get him going. Um, and, you know, with the the new offense, I actually expected that was one of the things I thought that maybe that prediction might come flying out of nowhere this past year just because and like not necessarily that he was going to win the Heisman, but that he would be a, you know, that he would be someone talked about. It'd be fanfare. Um, just because of how much they throw the ball to the running backs in this offense and what you can do with the running backs in this offense and how they, you know, Mike Jinks in the spring last year talked about, hey, we want to, you know, create some matchups with these guys. And Stephen Carr is a mismatch. And I will still hold on to that. I know some people try to bag on me because I say, you know, that I talk about him as a receiver. He is, he can be a dynamic playmaker for you if you, use him as a mismatch and they could do that with him however last year basically the running backs were just always check down guys they very rarely tried to attack with the running backs it wasn't until like game 11 12 13 of the season that we saw a wheel route come out from a running back which was weird because we saw that in fall camp yeah so i don't it was very surprising to me that it didn't try to do more and maybe that's hey it's the first year in the offense. We want to focus on the other things more. We want to throw the receipt. I don't know. I don't know the reasoning behind it, but that was part of the reason why I was like, you know, part of the, my the back of my head, I was like, hey, maybe this prediction will actually, you know, get a little fanfare going forward uh, just because I think that he is the, the best receiver of that group and can be used in different ways. So even if he's not, you know, getting a ton of yards between the tackles, he might be getting some big, you know, catches and stuff like he did as a freshman. You know, when he was a freshman, that was the thing that that made him stand out. He had a couple of nice long runs. You know, one against Wyoming kind of opened that game up, but it was the catches that he made against Texas that really, you know, opened people's eyes and they were like, "Wow, well, this could be a guy that could be a true weapon for them." And he never really saw that last year, so it was a little bit surprising, kind of disappointing actually, because I thought that. You know, I just thought that the, with this offense, he's a perfect fit for you know what you would want to do if you're trying to create those mismatches. He's a guy that could be used in that way, and they just never really did. Now, when it comes to Marquis' step, I remember there being a lot of um, not fanfare, but some people were in a tizzy about his usage in the beginning of the season. I specifically remember the BYU game uh, when USC saw some more yardage with him in the game. What did you think about how USC used him and maybe didn't use him as much in the beginning of the season and then had to towards the the second half? You know, I wasn't 
I wasn't as upset about how they were using him as a lot of people were, you know, because Vi was getting yards, Stephen Carr was getting yards, and Marquis Step really improved when he got opportunities. So he wasn't the same player at the beginning of the year as he was in the middle of the year. He he showed a lot better vision, and and, and granted, some of those things come with the experience. But you don't want to be throwing guys in there. People want him to go in on the fourth and one against Fresno State for his first carry of the season. Like, no, that's not the time to put that guy in. And they were clamoring for him in the BYU game. It's like, you're in a tight ball game with a team you should be destroying. You don't need to be getting guys experience at that time. And even I remember going through the film study with you for the BYU game, and it almost seemed like sometimes Marquise wasn't even going in the right hole, but he was just barreling through that it yeah. kind of worked out and it like worked out in his favor but that shows that he's not really ready for that moment it's not necessarily he's not ready for the moment it's just that he was still learning that's what i meant and so he was reading the defense a little bit better you know week after week and you know i thought he was making really big strides and it was unfortunate for him when he got injured because with Stephen carr getting hurt basically three plays before he did you know basically the series right before marquis step did then it was like, okay, he's going to be the the featured guy. You're going to be do. You're going to try to. They would have been designing things around him, like they did in the Colorado game, where they designed things to get Amon Ross St. Brown. They said, okay, this is our guy. This is what we got to got to use. We're going to do some different things, and maybe that even played better to his style if they were trying to do different things instead of trying to put him into the air raid system running backs. Because I just remember Mike Jinks. You know, I was like, what were your first impressions of the group? And he's like, they're big. <laughs> And he's like, and when we got out here, they can move too. Uh, so, you know, he had been used to having, he had, I think he told me he had never had a guy over 205 pounds. And then he said, all the guys are 220, 225 pounds that I got. So this was before Kenny Kristen got on campus. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so it was a different style. And they were, he was still trying to figure out what best ways to use was running backs and stuff. And I think Marquis Step this year, They'll do some different things with him, and there'll be some things that are better suited for him. Uh, again, you don't want to just put guys in to, okay, every time we need to run a sweep, we're going to put a fast guy in. Every time we need to run through the tackles, we're going to put the big guy in. No, you got to mix it up because then the defense just keys on guys specifically. But I think that Marquis Step showed really big growth in the time he was in there, and I thought he would have had a big second half of the season as well if he would have been healthy. Unfortunately for him, he goes down at the wrong time uh, with just the injuries that it all – the other injuries that occurred, he could have had a you know a great opportunity to continue to get better. Moving on to tight ends, departures none, additions. Daniel Matabebe question mark. We will shall see, uh, but he should be there in spring practicing with the team. I'm still question marks on his getting that six year of eligibility. As far as the rest of the depth chart, Josh Follow, Eric Cromenhook, Ethan Ray, and Jude Wolf. This is a position group that's split pretty heavily between experience. And lack of experience. Both Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray dealt with injuries last season, while uh, Josh Follow and Eric Cromenhook uh, were those vet guys. Uh, we've talked about this before, but in this air raid offense, USC tended to use the t- tight end more as a blocking role, not really as a passing threat. Um, I know a lot of people like to talk about Drake London kind of taking over that tight end role. Gerard Martinez. Oddly enough, does not agree with that. I told him that we should have you two debate about that. Interesting. <laughs> I know. This is an interesting position group, and it's also going to be marked by a new coach coming in. John David Baker is going to be their position coach, but he's not new to the program. He was an offensive quality control analyst last year with Graham Harrell. He followed Graham Harrell from North Texas to USC. So he's someone who's 
fluent in the air raid system, if you will. So it's an interesting position group to look at. Yeah, and I think that if you can add Daniel Amorabebe, then that you know kind of changes the dynamic of that group. Um, we've seen a healthy Daniel Amorabebe. Let's let's big key. Yeah, he he is he can be dynamic. He can be a you know a mismatch over the middle. You know, Sam Darnold loved throwing to him over the middle, and you know they were able to to create some some really nice plays for USC and add a different element that they didn't necessarily have in the offense last year with the tight end. You know, Eric Cromanhook was running some, you know, four-yard uh, curl routes. That was that was a lot of his routes. Now you had the big play against BYU where he got run down from behind. Uh, that was on a scramble, you know, scramble drill type play where he got behind the defense. But a lot of times his routes were really short routes. If they wanted to throw the ball over the middle, that's when they went and they brought Drake London in. Now, if they and it also changed a lot once they lost the running backs. It was actually a big discrepancy in how they used that position, that H-back, that inside slot position, um, which is where both Croman Hook and Drake London played. Ideally for them, they have a tight end on the field. They can put him in H-back. They can put him in the backfield. They can put him on the end of the line. They can split them out. They don't have to change personnel and allow the defense to change personnel to react to them. They would ideally like to have someone who can block, who's also, you know, is a, a good enough receiver that they can, you know, make a linebacker or safety miss or, you know, can catch a ball, you know, can get open against them. And then that way they can continue to run their offense without having to sub guys in and out. Because you saw they didn't they didn't sub wide receivers almost at all. Uh, they did sub running backs occasionally, but it was mainly their biggest subs were Chrome and Hook versus versus uh, Drake London. Yeah, that was basically it. You know, occasionally there would be different packages and stuff, but the biggest sub one for one was London for Chrome and Hook, and that was: Do we want to use an H back? Do we want to use a you know a tight end on the end of the line and have an extra blocker in there? And they would run those guys for routes occasionally, but it was not nowhere near the, what they were using Drake London for, which is why people say it was the same position because they were switching them in and out. And instead of just splitting the tight end out like you would normally do, they would bring Drake London in and use him as a big body guy who wasn't going to come down. The thing was they never moved Drake London in in line and put him on the end of the line and said, hey, you know, block with your hand on the ground. That never happened. You know, they were, that would just, which is why I think Gerard argues that he wasn't in the tight end role. But it was the same... It was what they would want the tight end to do, yeah. If they could, they just didn't feel like they had a guy that fit the role for them. Because Croman Hook was doing a good job blocking, uh, that was the biggest thing. Follow struggle with blocking. I think he's the guy they would want to be that dual threat, but he's got to block better. And when he came back, you know, he came back from an injury. He had a touchdown in the Cal game as well. Uh, you know, Ethan Ray, Jude Wolf, Jude Wolf's another guy that could be that dual threat guy that mm-hmm. can, you know, he he showed that he can catch the ball, can be a dynamic threat as a as a senior in high school at St. John Bosco. Ethan Ray, question marks there. He's got to get back from the knee injury, so he's a guy that, that we'll be keeping an eye on as well in the spring to see if he's healthy and ready to practice going forward. But Amora Bebe is is the big question mark. Big could be a big key for the offense. Could just be you know a blip on the radar. If he doesn't get that six-year eligibility, but he can be a weapon over the middle of the field, and he blocks well enough. Again, he's got to shake off the rust and do all that stuff as well. But you know, when he was healthy, he was a you know he was a, a dynamic part of their offense uh, with Sam Darnold as well. Now, 
John David Baker went on Trojans Live and talked about the tight end position, and and he was basically asked like. You didn't really use the tight end position, but he said that's a common misconception. He said, if you look at North Texas, uh, we used our tight end probably 80% of the snaps. Um, and then Greg Biggins actually talked to Jack Yeary, who committed to USC in February. He's gonna he's not an early enrollee. Obviously, he's going to be uh, coming to the school in the fall. But he said, I think you'll see more of the tight end used a lot more this coming season. Drake London basically played the role of the tight end last season, and he's very productive. This year, he'll move back out wide to receiver, and the position he played is up for grabs. That's the position I was told they want me to come in and play. So we've kind of heard from both John David Baker and now from Yeary that – they're evolving the tight end or taking back the tight end position, if you will. Take it back. Take it back. No, Crumman Hook played basically 400 offensive snaps. The first team offense basically played 900 offensive snaps. So he played about 44% of the offensive snaps. You know, Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker did not leave the field. When the first team was out there, they played 893 total snaps. So, you know, it's pretty much, you know, four out of every nine plays. Chrome and Hook was in there. Now, Follow played 105. Drake London played 463. So that's where that's where your 900 plays went. Um, you know, occasionally there's two tight ends, there's other things you can do, but the split was basically 45-55 tight end versus London. Uh, so London got a little bit more playing time, and again that that was very different. At the beginning of the season versus as the season progressed, through the first seven games of the season, Drake London played 163, 153 offensive snaps. The last six games, he played 310. So he played twice as many snaps in the last six games as he did in the first seven. Well, what happened in that seventh game? That's when all the running backs got injured. That's when they decided to open things up more. So I think it was a lot of it was a product of what happened with the running backs that affected that position as well. If we're not going to be able to run the ball, why are we going to have a tight end in there to try to block? You know, th- that type of thought process, let's spread it out. And they went with more five wide receivers that did different things like that. That's when they used Drake London more. And he progressed as a freshman. Yeah. You know, he took a step forward and, and played really well in the second half of the season. So I, I think that all factored in. I think from what it sounded like uh, JDB talking about, on the Trojans Live was that they want to use the tight end more, and that's going to be something that's featured in this offense more. But they just weren't healthy at that that second part of the season, so they didn't. It wasn't an option really. The way that they needed to run the offense, they needed to do something different, and they did. And that's why it ended up seeming like it was such a different uh, offense, and like there was such a big discrepancy. When you look at the numbers and you look at first half of the season versus second half of the season, much different. Yeah, to your point, he said their biggest focus this offseason is seeing how they can fit best fit the tight end in the offense going forward. So we shall see how that develops and, and, and what we see from that position group in spring camp. Moving on to wide receivers, who we've kind of already talked about. But first off, we'll start with departures. Michael Pittman obviously left for the NFL. Devin Williams and Valus Jones both put their name in the transfer portal. Devin Williams left in September, Valus Jones after the season. As far as additions, USC does get two early enrollee wide receivers. Four-star, 5'11", 164 pounds, Gary Bryant. Three-star, 6'1", 179 pounds, Josh Jackson. As far as the rest of the depth chart goes, uh, you have Tyler Vaughns, who elected to stay for his senior season. Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London, Brew McCoy, what? Kyle Ford and Munir <laughs> McLean. <laughs> So that is what the wide receiver position looks like as of now. So they're getting some more depth, 
and some bodies back as far as injuries and, and whatnot. It's basically going to be the same numbers, though. You know, you lose Pittman and Valus Jones. Devin Williams was gone early in the season, went to Oregon. Valus is going to Tennessee. But you lose Pittman and Jones, you get two freshmen coming in. You don't have Manu McClain because of an injury, but you got Brew McCoy. So it's basically the same number of bodies that they're going to have out there, which is not a ton still. Um, so they're still looking to add some depth there. But it's talented. Once again, a lot of talent in that, that room as is almost always the case at USC. Tyler Vaughn's returning gives them a veteran presence there, which kind of eliminates the, the big question marks that would have come uh, with that position. There would have been some question marks. You know, you figure Amon Ross St. Brown can play outside. Do you want him to play outside all the time? He's going to want to play outside the show he can for the NFL. Um, but then if you don't have Tyler Vaughn's and you don't have Michael Pittman, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have some big question marks of Kyle Ford, Brew McCord. They ready to step in immediately. Yeah. Whereas now, you can still bring them along a little bit slower than you would have to otherwise. But I think those guys are going to show this spring that they're the real deal. Kyle Ford is back from the ACL injury. He played some at the end of the season, had a touchdown catch. Brew McCoy obviously sat out the entire year. Finally get to see him back out there is going to be good. Uh, he's he's a he's a beast. Uh, a so beast. I think you're going to see that in the spring. The, the fans that come out to watch will see him like, oh, whoa, this, that's why this guy's a five star. Uh, so and Drake London showed, you know what Gerard and I at least had been trying to say, this guy's pretty darn good. You know, he's not just a basketball player over here. And uh, you know, it might, speaking it, of which, how much will we see Drake London in in spring? I don't know. That's that's a big question. He hasn't really done much with the basketball team as far as in game playing. So uh, that leaves some question marks there. You know, if he doesn't. It might depend on the schedule of basketball practice and football practice. He might try to do both. Wow. Uh, because especially if you get through that first week, you go through the acclimation period so that, you know, he goes to the Pac-12 tournament, he goes with the team, you know, if they make a, a postseason tournament, they make the NCAA tournament. If they're done after the first week, then he still has those final three weeks of the season. He's already acclimated, so he can just jump into padded drills and stuff. He doesn't have to go through those, you know, he doesn't miss out on more time. So that's what would be ideal for him. Again, that comes down to scheduling and you know what the what the coaches have conversed with each other and kind of discussed how that will work. Uh, but the biggest thing will be seeing those young receivers, seeing them try to take a step forward, seeing how quickly Gary Bryant Jr. and Josh Jackson kind of pick up the offense. What are you expecting from those two? I expect Gary Bryant to be really, really, really fast. Because he's really, 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 really fast. Um, and – do we see? Do we start to see some different wrinkles in the offense where they start to use a speed guy to take the top off the defense? I don't think we've seen that in how long. Uh, if they do, that's kind of a, a shame to Valus Jones if they start to figure that out as he's in the portal. Yeah, and that was what we thought Valus Jones would fit well in this offense, and then he just never was on the field. I don't know if there was some animosity there from him going to the portal and coming back or what exactly it was, but he never got on the field. I think he's going to go to Tennessee and be a productive guy there and have, you know, five or 600 yards receiving and, and have a good uh, final senior senior year with T Martin over there. So good luck to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Gary Bryant does. Valus Jones is fast. Gary Bryant's really, really fast. I think the Clay Helton quote was there's fast and then there's Gary Bryant fast. Yeah, he and it's not necessarily straight line speed. It's just burst. You know, he gets his acceler- his acceleration is there, and like he just leaves guys behind him. You know, he'll be even, 
and then he's leaving. As far as putting a bow on the wide receivers, would you say that this is the least worrisome position group? The the most like, yeah, they're good. They're talented. On the offensive side, yeah. They'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah, on yeah. the offensive side. Yeah, definitely. I just think there's there's more depth there than there is the running backs. The running backs, you could say probably the same thing. Like, yeah, they've all got experience now, especially in the spring. You know, what are your running backs really going to do for you in the spring? Yeah, yeah, they'll be good. Moving on to quarterbacks, obviously uh, for the departure, Jack Sears, uh, that happened preseason, still hasn't found a home yet. No, he was going to go to San Diego State, and then when Rocky Long decided to leave, he decided to open back up his recruitment and he has not found a home as of yet. As far as additions go, USC did get one in Mo Hassan. He's 6'3", 205. He's a transfer from Vanderbilt. He has one year of eligibility left. Uh, He saw action in six games with just one start in 2019. Uh, It was a 24-14 upset over number 21-ranked Missouri. Uh, It was Vanderbilt's lone SEC win of the season. This is a really nice pickup for USC. Hassan is a guy who's bounced around. He started his career at Syracuse, went to JUCO, ended up at Vanderbilt. Didn't really know what the depth chart was going to be there. You know, maybe he was just looking for a, a nice grab program, wanted to check out the West Coast, go for it. But the fact that he has a little bit of experience and he's not going to be he's not going to be the starting quarterback, that's huge because they were in a situation where if JT Daniels is not ready to go, one injury, two injuries, which is what they had last year, in the second game or third game, there were two injuries in, you would be on a walk-on. Mm-hmm. So adding him, I think, is really big. Now the question is, like, does Matt Fink, does he... Hey, we're not done with the depth chart yet, sir. <sighs> the rest of the depth chart, if you're not familiar with it, <sighs> is Keaton Slovis, JT Daniels, and Matt Fink. Continue. Doesn't everybody know the depth chart at the quarterback yeah, position by now? procedural. Ah, procedure. I don't like procedure. You I would don't like be anything. I would be in the... Uh, the cop drama show would be the one that breaks all the procedure rules. I can see that. Could we have a cop show? I'm the cool one who gets everything done, and you just had the one-liners. <laughs> no, we could not have a cop show. How about that? Fine. <laughs> anyway, what were you going to make your points about Fink? Uh, does Fink, does he try to test the portal again? You know, it's still a possibility. We haven't seen USC's portal entries yet. Because I still think there's more to come. Now, maybe it'll be after spring. Hey, we want to see how this new staff shakes out, see where it goes. Uh, but if Fink feels like, what the heck, I'm fourth now in the depth chart and I don't have a chance, do I just want to finish my degree and I'm done with? Or is he looking at it and like, I think I can still play somewhere else and there's a starting spot out there at you know wherever, and he says, Let me, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to shoot for the stars and go for it. He almost went to Illinois. You know, with Josh Mortabebe and Trayvon Sidney, and you know they thought that he was coming there, didn't didn't happen. He decided to come back to USC. And, hey, wins a big game against Utah, uh, doesn't doesn't have the the follow up success against uh, against Washington because hey, maybe he stays in the starting role after that. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but do, how is he looking at this off season? That that's a question mark that we don't know. Uh, that'll be a question to ask him during the spring. But you kind of almost got the vibe that he was kind of exhausted by the whole portal process. Could be. In my mind, I just see him staying put. But could be. And hey, this is his fifth year, so you know he would have an opportunity. He could be finishing up his grad degree. If that's the case, then 
you know, depending on what degree is and how important that is to him, that could be the reason why he stays. I don't know. Uh, but it just is something that, to keep an eye on just because you've added another guy in Mohassan who does have some experience. Um, it would be great for USC to keep both of them because, like I said, you get two injuries deep, you're going to a walk-on if yep. one of those guys is not there. So, uh, And, again, you, you don't know where JT Daniels is going to be. If he comes back and he's healthy, eh, all that's kind of mute. Uh, it's all a moot point, but you don't know where he's going to be. I think the biggest misconception among fans that I've heard so far this offseason is that there's a quarterback battle between JT Daniels and Keen Slovis. Yeah, there's no quarterback battle. I've said this multiple times, but my thought process is that JT was definitely top of the class to begin last season. Keaton Slovis was not the same as him, was not close. Uh, but Keaton Slovis was able to progress in the offense, and by the end of the season, if you just want to say they were even, just for the sake of this argument, they were exactly even at the end of the season. Well, guess what? Keaton Slovis still has eight more months where he can be on the field and can be practicing and can be getting better in this offense. The JT Daniels is still going through rehab and trying to recover from the knee injury. So needless to say, Keaton Slovis is going to improve and therefore he's going to be above JT Daniels. So is JT Daniels going to be able to make up eight months of progress if they were exactly even at the end of the season in four or five weeks if he's ready to go for fall camp? If? He's ready to go for fall camp. Yeah, I don't see that happening. So I don't see it being a quarterback controversy or anything. Yeah. And I think if JT comes back and he's healthy, that's great. Keaton goes out there, and with the question marks you have for your offensive line, it's quite possible you could have another quarterback be injured. It happened five times last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a, a dynamic quarterback behind him, it's even better for USC. So I think it's it's a win-win for them to get him back, but I don't think there's a a question mark about there being a battle. You sound very exasperated. I think I've just said I've said the same argument like nine times, so um it comes up a lot. And it won't I, know. It's I not, think this week I yelled at someone, JT doesn't even have a functioning leg, because they wouldn't believe me. And I was like, why do you think that this is going to be a battle? It's not. I mean, at best, I think JT would be able to stand and do those warm-up throws in the receiving lines, at best. But, like you said, there's just a gap in experience at this point. And I also think there's something to be said for how much Graham Harrell really likes coaching Keaton Slovis. Um, They're like the same person off the field. They're very, they almost kind of share brain a little bit. And with the Heisman odds coming out, how do you kind of tinker with that at that point? The Heisman odds don't mean anything, but... Hey, Graham Harrell looked pretty excited about it when we told him. <laughs> yeah, he said it would be good for his resume. If yeah, someone it's good wanted. for business is what he said. Uh, yeah, but no, I think the biggest thing for JT Daniels is to get healthy and just to be ready because you never know what's going to happen, as we've seen <laughs> seen multiple years with USC. Uh, and if Keaton Slovis struggles, then maybe you have the controversy. Mm-hmm. And But it's the first, the biggest thing is just JT Daniels getting healthy and coming back. Now, from what we've heard... He's you know probably ahead of schedule a little bit, not way advanced of schedule, but a little bit ahead of schedule. Maybe we see him back in the summer for some of the summer workouts type of thing. Uh, and if that's the case, that's great for him because then he's healthy going into fall camp. But again, like I said, eight months of progress. You got to make that up in four weeks. So that's that's going to be hard to do. Technically, he's done it before though. True, coming in as a true freshman true. and not being able to practice during the spring and you know going in there and. 
both Matt Fink and Jack Sears had a full eight months that they yep. could have impressed the coaches, and they did not. So, I think so there is controversy. <laughs> I think that Keaton Slovis has done much more impressing than those other two guys did that offseason. Yes, I agree as well. Also, that he has a full season under his belt, but yes. Yes. I think that's going to wrap up. We went through position by position, I guess, to close out. Biggest offensive storylines you're looking for. We touched on them, but give us a, a rapid fire, Mr. Gunn. Uh, the tackles, who, who's where on the offensive line, and you know who gets the first shots at the tackle positions, and then... What do we see from the running backs? Like, what are what are they trying to get from them? I think that's kind of a, an interesting thing. But really, it's just all about the offensive line because all the other positions you kind of feel confident about. I think you're going to rotate at the receivers. You're not going to find out who's the starter necessarily opposite of Tyler Vaughn's. But the offensive line, we might find out who's leading the leading the charge to be a starter there. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think the the five is settled by the end of spring? No. You think that competition goes into fall? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you'll get a depth chart at the end, or at least the team will get a depth chart and say, "This is where you are right now. What are you going to do this off season to push yourself above, or you know, are you going to do enough to to keep a starting position, or are you going to be lazy in this off season?" I mean, those coaches always put those out there to to let players know and as motivational tactics as well. But I think there'll be a depth chart and they'll have an idea, but then you got to come back and I think that. Tim Drevno's done this in the past where he's moved guys around to try to just sample them and see you know how they do, and I think that'll be what this spring is about, is seeing what how guys do in certain positions, how they work beside other people, and then once you get to the fall, you'll try to solidify after the first week and, week and a half or so, solidify like who's going to be the actual five guys. Yeah, spring is the time to mix and match and try and see what combination or which combination could be the best. Now, finally – what do you think for the offense as a whole or certain position groups, what does progress look like? What can they accomplish in however many weeks spring is? Uh, Five weeks. I think just the consistency of the blocking, both in run and pass, just is there ever a hole there or are running backs being in the backfield? Because – it's not like they're going up against a, a brand-new, fresh defense line, too. It's going to be yeah. an experienced defense line on the other side, which is going to be a great test for them. Do you feel like with the way USC runs practices, we can ever get a full, true evaluation on USC's run game? That's something in the past couple of years that I only feel like we can get a full sense of once a game actually happens. I think you can get a sense of the run blocking more than the run game itself. Because you're going to have, you know, Corbin Junty or Quincy Junty is going to get a, a bunch of carries. Um, maybe you're getting Keenan Kristen more experience. I don't, I don't think you're going to get those, you know, those top three guys a ton of carries. So, you know, and uh, you know, Marquis Step goes and he gets touched and tagged. Is that into the play? Yeah, that well, whole thing. Well, Marquis Step runs through arm tackles and runs through leg tackles and trip attempts and leg tackles, bulldozers and. Anything. He just runs through a bunch of stuff. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I'm still caught Shoulder on tackles, tackles yeah. and neck tackles and neck leg whips. Neck tackles. That does not sound good. Whatever they can try. They can try a bunch sure. of stuff. He just runs through it. Sure. That's Marquis Step as he barrels his way through. Sorry to whoever defenders. got scared by that. So what's your answer to my question, though? The blocking? Yeah, you can still get a sense of the blocking. Is there a hole there? You know, or is it there's contact Meaning, at two yards? What does progress look like? 
Well, progress is consistency and blocking. Okay. That's my progress. Is that the only thing you're looking for? I mean, it's the main thing. I think we know what we're going to get from Keaton Slovis. I mean, you could see some progress there, but it's hard to, you know, it's going to be full 11 on 11 to really tell if it's progress, how much are they going to do. That's a question. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is the the protection for when Keaton Slovis is throwing, so the blocking there. And then if you can run and there's some, there's some holes, even if you're not doing, you know, tackle to the ground, do the running backs have some holes to run through? Yeah, I would agree. Just overall, what does the offensive line look like? How, what's the rotation? What are they trying to do there? They're trying to block. Oh, really? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you don't know. Um, also, just like body type changes. Does Kenny Kristen put on some pounds? Justin Dedich with the videos that Aaron Osmus has put out, looks like he's weightlifting cars. Does that have an impact? Stuff like that. You know, little off-season question mark answer things but pretty much offensive line is the big question mark um and i'm sure we'll be very distracted by the defense as far as trying to figure out things so yeah and then hopefully we can see a lot of the offensive line hopefully they're not in the corner it's a good point i just hope that they do one-on-ones or you know those type of drills near us because that's where you can really see the the proof in the pudding somewhat more so than straining in the corner of the field. Oh, definitely. In that That's regard, yeah. my point. Definitely more so. Yes. Alrighty. Any final thoughts, Mr. Gum, before we wrap this puppy up? Two more weeks of this. Crazy. And they're back on the field. Chris made this point on the live show. He said that he was Chris like... Chris made a point? Uh, shocking. I know. And we can slander him because he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'll get a text later. Um, He said at the Holiday Bowl, he was dreading spring camp but now he's actually looking forward to it and i am in the same camp i was like really i don't want to see this again (laughs) and now i'm like okay i think it's also just taking football out of my life and putting some sleep back in i'm like let's go let's do this thing (laughs) but i'm excited there are some there are some question marks that you know you want to see and see how the team reacts those are more on the defense side, though. So Yes, and that's coming next week. So make sure you stay tuned to our preview series. I think that's going to wrap it up. I believe we do have questions that we still haven't answered. Apologies. We will get to them at some point, but this is a long episode. So we'll, we'll probably put that in the Chris episode, our Spring Camp Eve episode. So stay tuned. But thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys very much. Shotgun, you look like you're going to say something. If you guys want to send us any more questions, feel free. Yeah, if you Family ha- Feud Pod at gmail.com well done mr gun shotgun's done with me Alrighty, that's the cue to wrap it up thanks so much for listening we'll see y'all next week